think it would start with listening, not assuming. It's one of those things where if we would have had people at the beginning who listened and realized, hey, there's a difficult situation here, that we could actually make a difference to where, hey, possibly we could still have kept and unified this family. This is the Foster Movement Podcast, helping you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Here are your hosts, Jason Weber and Diego Fuller. Hey, this is Jason Weber. Welcome to the Foster Movement Podcast. I'm here with Diego Fuller. Hey, Diego. Hey, what's up, Jason? How you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Man, I am doing fantastic. I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. So... Question for you, Diego. Yes, sir. Um, do you like going on road trips? Man, I love to travel. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. My whole family love to travel. All right. So here's a really important question. Yes. What is your favorite road trip snack? Snack? Oh, yeah. man. It got to be Doritos. Oh, yeah? I just love Doritos. But the Dorito dust gets all over the steering wheel, man. It does, but it keep me up Okay. <laughs> when I'm driving. That's more important. <laughs> right. That's exactly. Important. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is a little messy. What's your favorite snack? Uh, it's two things. It's Well, it's three things. Okay. It is salt and vinegar chips. Yeah. Keeps me awake. <laughs> yeah. Keeps me awake. Okay, okay. Yeah. And for a while, it was good because, now it's going to make me sound super selfish, but my kids hated them, and so oh, I got yeah. to keep them all for myself. Right. <laughs> but then, <laughs> so that's that's the real reason you bought them. So no, they wouldn't get none. But now they like them. So okay, that's, okay. That's going. Uh, and then the other thing is peach rings. You know those little gummy peach rings. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So those, and then Dr Pepper. Oh, Dr Pepper. You give me those three things. Dr Pepper's bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> Water and Sprite. <laughs> Man, what are you, my conscience? <laughs> Anyway, uh, road trips are fun, right? They, they can are. be. They, they can be. They yes. can also be uh, not fun. Mm. Uh, and I've been on a few of those uh, right. as yeah. well. And we had one uh, just this last fall. We went to my niece's wedding in South Carolina. And on the way home, we had the car. It broke down twice. One of the times we were in an auto parts store parking lot late at night oh, wow. uh, in Atlanta. And um, and while I was getting ready to go inside mm-hmm. uh, to this place to get a new battery because we, you know, we were breaking down, um, one of my kids threw up in the back seat. You know, oh, so wow. like, so we added an extra day to the trip. Like, so road trips can be great. Yeah. Especially if you have Dr. Pepper along, <laughs> and they could be hard, right? Oh, man. And so that's what we're going to be talking about uh, mm-hmm. for the next several episodes. We're going to be uh, doing the same thing we, we always do, where we interview uh, foster care alumni. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're going to spend the second half of the next probably 10 episodes or so talking about the foster journey. Right, right. And the ups and downs for people who are just considering foster care. Yes. So this is going to be a great set of episodes for you to get out to your people um, that are considering foster foster care. So uh, we have a great episode today. We're going to be uh, listening to an interview we did with Callie Crowder. Uh, Callie? Callie, she's an incredible <laughs> young woman. She and, is. Uh, so let's get to it. I'm here with Callie Crowder from Austin, Texas. Callie, so good to have you with us. Thank you, Jason. It's so good to be here. So, Callie, um, you spent time in foster care, and you uh, entered care at 13, along with your three sisters. Um, Could you share a little bit about uh, the circumstances that led to you coming into care? Sure thing. So, I did enter in the age of 13, and um, 
it was on the grounds of educational neglect, which was actually furthest from the truth. Um, but that's kind of how our story unfolded. So myself, as well as my three sisters, we were all in the same home together in um, Columbus, Ohio. So uh, Callie, Virtual Ohio is, uh, just for those who might not know, is an online uh, school curriculum certified by the state of Ohio. And that's what you guys were doing. That's correct. Yeah. And so we ended up doing Virtual Ohio, but there was someone at the school who wasn't a fan of my mom. And so they ended up calling CPS and we ended up having them start working on our case and start coming up with a case. And they actually had said some not very good things about my mother. And so we ended up being taken into care. And the last thing I remember is uh, my mom was at home, my dad was, and we got a knock at the door. And during this time, the some police officers and a caseworker came and took us from our home. And they were like, we need you to come with us. The last words and parting words from my father were, make sure that you use um, your missus and your ma'ams and your misters and treat everyone with respect. And so we ended up being taken off into police cars and taken to our grandma's house for a couple of months. And then after that, we transitioned into going into a foster home, which we remained at for six years. And so during your time uh, in care, uh, educational neglect continued to be the reason that was given for you guys being in care. And the foster home uh, that you uh, ended up being in for most of that time, uh, they took all four of you, all four of you were able to sit together. Right. Such a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you guys, when you went back to court, every time you went to court, you made a request of the court. What was that? Our request is that we wanted to go home with our mom. Yeah. And those requests were denied each time. Yes. Um, they and were. why? what was the reason given for that? The reason was given was that our mom wasn't fit to take care of us based on the grounds of educational neglect that they built the case off of from before. And so that was all we ever really got to know about it. Um, And so we ended up just staying in foster care with the grandparents that we have. And your foster parents, as and you refer to them to this day as your grandparents, yes. right? Uh, they had the case file, and that's the information they had to work with, which is true of every foster parent. You get the information <laughs> that you're given, and a picture was painted in that case file about your mom. And so they were understandably leery um, a little bit at first, but they came to a different understanding of your mom over time. Can you talk about that? Yeah, certainly. So... My foster parents, Maudel and Richard Nixon, who I call my Grammy and my pap all today, they, at first, just like any foster parent, you are given that case and you have no idea what that case contains with the file. You only have that information that's in front of you. Um, and so it did not paint a very good picture of my mom or my siblings and I. And so it start, things started off kind of rocky. So even on our own case file, I had said that um, my siblings and I had stolen things, which was furthest from the truth. There's no record of that. Um, And so it was like, where did that even come from? So my foster parents, they were leery at first, like, oh, these kids, like, we have no idea. They could steal things. They might have a history of these things and, and their mom. And then it's like they started to realize as they kept us year after year, they're like, this doesn't make sense. This case file doesn't add up with these children. And they started to have a softened heart and they just were like, you know what? They're not like this at all. So um, they actually started to 
really helped when it came to the idea of what we call now like family preservation. They cared a lot about having my mom a part of our family. Um, and so they started to go, wow, we can see that not only are their mom not like this case file pertains and depicts, but the kids aren't like this either. Hmm. And then eventually, um, after you'd been in care for several years, your mom made a decision to move to the same town where you guys were being fostered. Talk about that and the reason she did that and what that meant to you guys. Yeah, so that meant a lot to us. Um, my mom had decided to move to Marysville, which is a town that is 45 minutes northwest of Columbus from where we grew up. And the schools we had been going to for that six years had become a huge part of our life. And she saw that. Um, and so when she moved to Marysville, it made visits easier, too, for my foster parents and her and us to be able to do more things together. But um, it also allowed us to stay in the same school district. And the reason that was important at this point is because um, finally, after years of requesting that you be reunified with your mom, Mm -hmm. um, you went back to court one more time and actually they granted you guys the ability to reunify and go back home. Can you tell us about that process? Yeah. So that was quite an interesting process because as you could imagine, if you're in foster care um, or even doing something for a long period of time and it takes six years to get to it (laughs) it could be a lengthy process so my foster parents and my mom and I for the six years which was unheard of to you're supposed to be placed within two to three um in either foster home back with your parents or adopted and so we ended up every year asking to go back home with our mom um, so for five years, that's all we wanted. And then the sixth year, my mother, as well as my two little sisters, cause my older sister aged out and my foster parents all agreed, you know what, this is the last big court case, you know, that you're going to have for a while. And why not just stay where you're at? You might as well. My mom was on board with it. My foster parents were because I was doing really well in school. And um, if you are a kid who's in foster care and you age out of the system, the system's supposed to help pay for your school. This was important because my mom had spent countless dollars on attorneys to get us home. So if I leave my senior year back with my mom, there would be little possibility for me to start college. And so as a result, all of my, my family together as a whole decided it would be a good idea to ask to stay instead. Um, and so that wouldn't be something that you would think wouldn't happen considering they've kept us for five unheard of years. So we ended up going for our last biggest court case. And that court case, we've only had two big ones. And um, within that six-year process, we had the same guardian at litem. So during that We walk in for our court hearing and actually we had to write a letter to the judge just to get into the courtroom um, to find out like, hey, can we actually talk to the judge? Can we say what our side of the story is? Because the entire time our guardian litem for that six years had been pleading the opposite. She had always told us we're not going home. Um, that we're wards of the state and that the best decision, you know, on behalf of the children is to stay in foster care. And so she had been pleading the opposite the entire time. This was the first time we were going to be heard by the judge on what we really wanted. 
And so she asked us beforehand whether or not she could talk to us. She just came up to us, our guardian at Lightham, and said, hey, could you come with me to the room? And we knew our rights by now because we've been learning them. Um, and so we actually said we can't without our counselor, our um, psychological counselor present with us. So she came in with us, which was actually um, this wonderful lady named Trisha from the Bear Foundation. And she was with us as well as our caseworker. And we went into um, the room where she was talking with us before we would meet the judge. And our guardian at Lydum looks at us and she asks, which one of you is Callie? Our ages and our names were on a yellow McDonald's napkin when they were yellow. At that moment, I realized that we were just numbers in a system to her, as well as to just this court system as a kid, you're looking at that as, do we matter? Like you're making the biggest decision over our lives and you don't know our name. And you've had us for six years. And so after we ended up talking to her, because we had to still proceed, um, we went and spoke with the judge and the judge still decided instead that they were going to send us home. So normally we would have been happy. This is what we wanted the entire time. And it had been so long before that would ever happen. And finally here it's happening. But instead it was because they didn't want to pay for my college. They saw I was promising with school. They saw my siblings and I were doing well and they didn't want to have to deal with it. Um, so we ended up going back home my senior year with my mom, which was difficult of a transition, but it could have been more difficult if my mom didn't decide to move to Marysville where our school still was. So that ended up a blessing, and we still had our foster parents who are a huge support, and like I said, my grandparents in my life today. So Callie, is a parent that you view your entire experience uh, as the result of great injustices. Um, in many different ways and many different repeated occasions that you felt like um, your experience was defined by uh, injustice and your foster parents even over time saw that, right? So when you look back on those injustices and you think about that in the context of, of God and who he is and his sovereignty, like how do you process all that? Yeah, so that's a great question because um, it was one of those things that even though my story had a lot of rocky spots, it also had a lot of blessings. I mean, as foster kids, my sisters and I, we really beat the odds. Um, and that's only honestly because of the Lord. But we never really went to church very much because of her working so much. And so then when we ended up in foster care, my foster parents became the people who watered. And so mm-hmm. they told us about God the way they loved us. They loved us like their own kids. We attended everything with them. We went to everything. They went to all our, um, my mock trial competitions, they were there. And so because we became part of their family, which was a huge impact for us, and because we felt that love, we saw like, wow, God shows that love through these people. And so we started going to a church and um, I didn't have the Lord as my personal savior for years until I was actually a freshman in high school. And... It was for the wrong reasons I came to know him. <laughs> I was reading, speed reading through my Bible because they challenged us. And I was like, I can do that. And so I did. But the whole time, God softened my heart for the opportune moment to call me. And when that happened, I never looked back. Hmm. Now, you have spent some time uh, working in a law firm. And you spent some time this last year in an internship in Washington, D.C. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so 
Um, I worked in a law firm for two years, which was actually very important um, in my story because I always want to help give people a voice, especially because I experienced what it was like not to have a voice. And so I ended up working in a foreclosure defense law firm where that's what you do. You give people voices who are going through a hardship, losing their home or had fallen on a difficult situation. And so that had just been a huge blessing to get a chance to give back and give a voice to someone. So I was a paralegal there, um, which goes into why I still kind of want to go to law school. You're kind of waiting on the Lord if that's what my next steps are in about two years or so. And then... uh, with my internship in DC this past summer, it was actually where I met Jed, <laughs> the president of CAPO. And, um, but during my internship, it was such a blessing in my life because we ended up working for CCAI, which is a Congressional Coalition for Adoptions Institute. And this institute is very unique. And I want to say for any foster kids out there, if you have hopes and dreams of making a difference on a policy level and for other kids and giving them a voice, this internship is incredible. Uh, They not only bring you to the hill and train you up, but you get to be in contact and network with people who are all fighting on your behalf and other kids. And I know as a kid who is in foster care, I didn't know that there were advocates for us. And through this program, I learned there was. And so I just encourage you, if you can, apply for it. They have foster youth interns. And so if you were a kid who spent time in foster care, they want to hear your story. And they not only want to hear it, but they want to give a chance for you to tell the world. So when you think about your experience that you had and the injustices that were done, and you, uh, you mentioned that you uh, do what you do now and have an eye towards uh, maybe a law degree sometime in the future because you want to give a voice to uh, those who don't feel like they have one. What could have somebody done um, for you and your sisters during that time to help with that injustice? Is there anything, when you look back, anything, you know, obviously people listening are a lot of folks from the church, a lot of folks who are advocates, uh, folks that are working in professional child welfare through private agencies and public foster parents. Um, all of them, um, have opportunities to see injustices. And sometimes it's hard for us to know exactly what to do. What could have somebody done for you and your sisters? I think it would start with listening, not assuming. It's one of those things where If we would have had people at the beginning who listened and realized, hey, there's a difficult situation here, that we could actually make a difference to where, hey, possibly we could still have kept and unified this family. It could have made a difference for us to have stayed with my biological mom. But at the same time, I won't say that I would never take back what I went through because it's such a blessing to be able to have a family that's not only... um, mended but even better like my dad today he's no longer an alcoholic (laughs) and him and my mom have a great relationship even though they still are separated and then my family has expanded and grown through my foster parents who are a huge blessing in my life and I think if people were to just whatever role it is that they have in life and that they've been given to do it with the best ability they can and learn to listen to the people that they're serving it's great advice Thanks so much, Callie, for sharing your story and for the work that you continue to do and um, how you use your voice on behalf of others. Thanks for spending the time. Thank you, Jason. She's amazing, huh? Man, she is amazing. When I listen to her 
one, it makes me, you know, the part of me that uh, wants to fight for justice. Oh yeah, makes definitely. me makes me want to fight. Yeah, you know? and to be so young, to have the passion she has to really see a change um, in the system. You know. Yeah. So uh, man, I like Callie. And Callie, you pretty cool girl. <laughs> <laughs> and for her, you know, she's all about. Some people they look back and they go, things were messed up. Yes. Um, for her, it's mm-hmm. things were messed up, and I'm gonna do something. Yes, about it. I want to fix this. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. I love her heart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's great. Well, um, so as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, we are going to uh, spend some time now and in diving into the foster journey. Yes. And today, this being the first episode in this series of episodes talking about the foster care journey mm-hmm. for people just considering foster care. We want to talk about where it all starts. Yeah. And I'm super excited that we're doing this session so people can listen in on it. Because there's a lot of people, people out there, Jason, that's that's scared to jump into this because they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what to do and they're afraid. And so uh, just the fact that this session is taking place, man, I hope this light and load up and make it easier for people just to jump all in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we have uh, the opportunity to listen to Jason Johnson, who is colleague uh, at CAFO, Christian Alliance for Orphans. He uh, leads our church ministry initiative. Uh, He's a blog uh, writer that a lot of people read. He's fantastic. (laughs) Great Um, information he gives. He's awesome. And uh, he's going to talk to us about where the foster journey begins. Mm. So let's take a listen to Jason Johnson. I'm here talking to Jason Johnson, the Director of Church Ministry Initiatives for the Christian Alliance for Orphans. And I have the privilege of getting to work with Jason all the time on all manner of things. And Jason, it's great to have you uh, on the podcast. Yeah, it's good to have the Jasons together. That's right. Jason's reunion. Um, (laughs) So, um, you know, as you know, we're going to be talking for these next uh, probably 10 episodes or so about just the foster journey and um, what it is to go through the process of considering whether or not foster care is for you. And um, one of the things that you say uh, or have said uh, is this quote, and I love this, um, and I wanted to start with this. You say, it's the mercy of God that he doesn't show us everything that will unfold in the foster care and adoption journey the moment we first say yes to it. All the hard would be too unbearable and all the good would be too unbelievable. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot there and it really is the culmination of our own personal experience. Um, But it's really born out of this tension between it's both hard, but beautiful. And those two things are equally true at the same time and not to overemphasize one or the other, you know, not to say, Hey, this is a really hard thing and it's just going to completely flip your life upside down. And it's just going to be really awful and you should do it. You know, I think (laughs) people kind of go, wow, well that, no, thank you. Uh, you know, but on the flip side, we don't want a rose-colored lens. It, you know, there is a beautiful tension there. And for us personally, it was just this revelation that you know, five six years ago when we started our journey, if God had told us everything that would unfold over the next five or six years, if He had told us all of that in that moment, I just don't know 
how that conversation would have gone with him. I'm convinced I might have fought him a little harder on it, knowing what I know now in terms of the hard that we've walked through. Um, yeah. And so it, it's this mercy of not knowing. It's not that he deprives us from certain pieces of information. Um, I just think as a good father, he protects us from certain pieces of information that we're not quite ready yet to handle. And he just says, look, I want you to say yes. And you're going to know what you need to know when it's time for you to know it. Yeah. So what did that journey look like for you guys when you first started? Yeah. My wife was a little more ready than I was at the time. That's normal, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely normal. So I think a lot of couples find themselves in that same place. And for my wife and I, it wasn't a place of tension. Um, It was cordial. We we had lots of conversations. And I realized even then during that season, um, there's just a lot of pressure to quote unquote, be on the same page. And I get the sentiment there. We don't want couples going into this that don't have unity on it. But sometimes that pressure to quote unquote, be on the same page I found was paralyzing. It almost felt like, okay, until we are exactly on the same page, we cannot do anything. And what I found during that season was maybe it's not so much about being on the exact same page. Are we at least reading the same book, right? Mm. Do we share a similar vision and perspective and hope for what our life is going to be used for? And maybe my wife at the time is on page 97 and I'm I'm just on page 21 right now, right? And that's okay. We're reading the same book. And so for her, it was, hey, maybe I take a couple steps back. And for me, it was, okay, what next step can I take forward? And we kind of meet in the middle there and we just see what God does. And so that's where we were. And so as we stepped into it, my kind of unspoken deal with God was, okay, God, we'll do whatever you want us to do. We're open to whatever you have for us, as long as it fits in this small little narrow box, right? Mm. And that little narrow box for us was infant baby girls. Um, We had three young girls at the time, and um, it just seemed natural. And so we said, God, yes to whatever, as long as it fits this very small (laughs) criteria, right? And I recognize that at the time and still do. And, And I think, again, that God is the kind of father that maybe sometimes he's up there and he says, you know, okay, all right, I'll make that deal with you. Um, we'll start there, but I'm not going to tell you what's to come, uh, right now. Cause if I told you what's to come right now, you probably couldn't handle it. And he was right. So infant baby girls turned into a little older girls, elementary, and that eventually evolved into the last few years of our lives have involved moms, um, moms in crisis, teen mom with a new baby, and a young 20-year-old mom with infant baby girls living in our home. And so again, five, six years ago, if God had said, um, okay, I want you to say yes to me, and it's going to turn into having some really, really hard, difficult stories in your home, I just don't know how well that would have gone. And I think it's in his mercy, he said, okay, we'll start there. And I want you to just trust me with the rest. Yeah. So... You know, one of the things that we often talk about when we talk about this whole foster care journey is that it has to begin with 
uh, our understanding of God and who he is. So how has your understanding of who God is and how he's revealed himself in scripture and how your understanding of the gospel has shaped your journey through foster care? Such a great question. You know, I think for me and maybe a lot of other people, you become aware of the need. You know that there's a problem. You know that somebody should probably do something about it. But underneath all of that is this lingering question deep within our souls. Why? Why should I? What's compelling me into mm. that? Because it's it's so, okay, I understand the need and I get it. I get all that. I get the data. I get the need. But but why? Why me? What do I have to offer? Can I really make a difference? And that's where I believe the gospel and just the heart of God revealed in Scripture speaks so uniquely and, and, so, and in such a relevant way. You know, I often think of it in terms of Christmas. You know, what it's our favorite. It's our thing. It's Christmas and Easter. That's what we do, right? As believers, that's our thing. And really what we celebrate in both of those seasons, which of course is true all year round, is this idea that God would step out of the comfort of His glory and He'd wrap Himself up in our humanity for the expressed purpose of being broken by our brokenness, um, that he would intentionally and willfully move towards us. And I think that there's some really beautiful applications in terms of how we demonstrate that into the world around us, that we would become the kind of people that see hard places and broken people and we move towards them and we incarnate ourselves there and we, we wrap ourselves up in, in the difficulty and the brokenness of others. And we're broken by it because anyone that's even for a day been involved with foster care understands that we ourselves become broken by the brokenness of others. Um, and that's a good thing. I think that's where the gospel really begins to saturate itself into our journey in this. Yeah, that's really good. That's, that rings very true, right? That, um, having that understanding and, and knowing who God is and understanding, um, his character you revisit that well often through the foster care journey um, because you have to, yeah. um, if you don't, if you don't go to that well, uh, you wind up uh, really dry. So that's good. Yeah. So, you know, these next several episodes are going to be dedicated to the foster care journey. And this is the first of that sort of series that we're doing. And so we uh, want to encourage all of our listeners. Um, many of our listeners are veterans. They've been in this a long time. They uh, are working in organizations. They're advocates. They've been foster parents a long time. But these particular set of episodes are great episodes to sort of get out to others, get to others in um, the church, get out to those that your organization or agency works with uh, to have them sort of begin to walk through um, thinking about this whole process. So uh, knowing that we're going to be having a number of those folks um, listening, what would you say to someone? I mean, you uh, spent years as a pastor as well before doing the role that you're doing now. And um what would you say to someone who is just kicking the tires for the first time and just wondering, not even sure, but wondering, is foster care something God has for me? What advice would you give them as a first step? I find that so many people that are at that place, and I was there, and, and just kind of a, 
spoiler alert, that question I don't think ever fully goes away. Hmm. Um, I think even people that are in the middle of it, they're in the trenches of it. Sometimes they're still asking themselves that question is foster care really right. for me. Right. So I want to kind of remove the illusion from people on the front end that once I answer this question, it goes away because mm. it doesn't. Um, and that, that goes back to what we've just talked about. We have to be able to preach to ourselves along the journey and regulate and, and have a proper framework to sustain us. But for those on the front end, I would say a number of things. Um, I think that there's a lot of people that have been praying about it for a long time and reading about it for a long time and talking about it for a long time and praying about it even more. And perhaps maybe the best thing they can do is stop reading about it and talking about it and praying about it and just do it. And I know that sounds sacrilegious. Like, did you just say stop praying about it? Yeah, but here's why. I think God, again, is a good father. And I think sometimes he might be up there saying, hey, look, you don't need to ask me about this anymore. I've already made it clear to you. You know what you need to do. Um, And we can kind of veil some delayed obedience with some spirituality, Mm. right? Uh, Well, we're still praying about it. Well, and I think God might be saying, but why? I've already made it clear. It's like, it's like if I told my daughter to clean her room and she memorizes what I said, she hosts group studies about what I said, she goes to conferences about what I said, she keeps asking me to repeat what I've said, but she never actually cleans her room, right? Uh, <laughs> and then she comes to me and says, Dad, okay, I just want to be clear. Am I supposed to clean my room, right? And just as a dad, I would say, hey, look, sweetie. I, I, don't, I don't really want to talk about this anymore. I've made myself clear, right? So I think a lot of people are in that place. Um, the second thing is rec- identify the root of the fear that you're wrestling with. So we'll often hear people say, well, I'm afraid of, of getting too attached. And we have some great responses to that. You know, that's exactly what these kids need. They need people willing to get attached. That's the encouraging one. The, maybe the more you know, pointed one is, well, this isn't about you. But I think underneath that, there's an actual fear that's the root fear. And that's the fear of, you know, I'm afraid I don't have what it takes that's to right. grieve like that. Or I'm afraid of the effect it might have on my biological kids. Okay. I, I think that's a fruit. I think the root of that is, you know, I'm afraid I don't have what it takes to parent through that. So I would encourage many people to recognize, try to get to the root of what their actual fears are and begin to address them there. And then finally, just real practically, take some very simple, low commitment next steps. Um, So for me, it was, I'm not sure if this is the right time, but let's go to orientation class. You know, let's just go see and feel and hear. Maybe for you, it's an informational meeting or just having coffee or dinner with a couple that is doing it or has already done it and just hearing their story. So what's some super simple, low commitment next steps that we can take that move us a little bit closer. And that might be a good next step for some folks. That's so good. That's so good. Well, you know, many of our listeners um, are familiar with uh, you and, and uh, many of the things that you have written and, and produced. But um, for those listening, uh, be sure to check out jasonjohnsonblog.com. That's jasonjohnsonblog.com. Jason does a fabulous job of providing just incredible insight into the foster care journey 
and uh, has great blog posts, uh, tremendous resources, books about foster care and church ministry. So be sure to check that out. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time and um, just grateful for you and the work that you do uh, to help others through the journey of foster care and through the journey of starting church ministry and all of the fruit that's coming of that. So appreciate you, brother. Thanks so much, Jason. Man, I love talking to Jason Johnson. Yes, he gives a lot of great information. Yeah, he really does. And, you know, one of the things I, I really like about what he said is talking about uh, those root fears. Oh, yeah. You know, there's oh, yeah. sort of the things we say yes. out loud, mm-hmm. but he's right. There are, uh, there's always something underneath that. It's a deeper yeah. fear mm-hmm. that, that we have. And right. so, um, what great advice to start the foster journey by sort of identifying some of those yes. fears. Yes. Um, one of the tools that we have uh, to help you do that is we have a booklet called The Foster Journey. Subtitle is Often a Winding Road, Always, Always a Trip. A trip. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a fun, uh, short guide. It doesn't take very long to, to read. The mm-hmm. chapters are super short, but at the end of each chapter are some questions for you to to answer, to think about, to talk about with with your spouse, if you're married, to talk about with friends, um, and just to process through a lot of your your motivations, your fears, like Jason talked about. And it's really meant to guide you through the whole foster care process. Yeah. So if you're interested in checking out that resource, you can do that at uh, kfo.org, C-A-F-O.org slash foster movement. And there's a button underneath the header on that page for shop resources. And if you go to that, you can check out that book. Um, You can get it in a Kindle version. You can also order them in 10 and 50 packs if you want to pass them out at your church or through your organization. Um, It's a great tool for that. So, um, man, we just want to thank so much our guests today. We want to thank Callie Crowder. Thank you, Callie. And we want to thank Jason Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. And we want to thank you for joining us uh, every time on the Foster Movement Podcast. If uh, you want to get today's show notes, you can go to fostermovementpodcast.org. Thank you for all you do to speak up for kids and families in foster care. You know, we're here to help you do that until there's more than enough. This has been the Foster Movement Podcast. Join Jason Weber and Diego Fuller next time as they and their guests help you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Hey, this is Jason again. Since we first recorded the interview you just heard with Callie Crowder, her biological father tragically passed away. Curtis Crowder was extremely proud of Callie and her sisters and always encouraged them, above all else, to stay close to one another, which they have done. This episode of the Foster Movement Podcast has been dedicated to his memory. Hey, this is Jason and Diego again. Yes, and we're still here because there's a couple of things that we want you guys to know. That's right. First of all, be sure to download the free PDF we created, especially for listeners of this podcast. It's called Key Things Former Foster Youth Want You to Understand About Caring for Current Foster Youth. 
This thing is beautiful and full of wisdom and insight from those who've been there. And I'm telling you, you need to print these babies out and give them to foster parents and applicants you work with because these things are amazing. Just go to morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. That's morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. Also, as you know, the Foster Movement Podcast is a limited series of just 18 episodes. But listen, it's okay. Don't be sad. Here's why. Because there's more where that came from. Tell them, Jay. That's right. More Than Enough has produced a whole family of podcasts, one of which is called the More Than Enough Podcast. So to learn more, go to morethanenoughtogether.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the homepage, and they are all there. Hey, and one last thing. Thank you for listening. It's a privilege to be a part of your journey. Our team is here to help you work with others in your community to provide for children and families before, during, and beyond foster care until there's more than enough.